when she talks from the podium, she'll tell you that alcoholism is like CO poisoning, carbon monoxide poisoning. It comes in through the doors. It comes in through the cracks in the windows. It comes in under the furniture and you can't smell it. You can't see it, but everybody in the house gets sick. It becomes everybody's normal. It's the only life we've ever known. We settle into the delusion that sucks us in. And it is only by grace and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that we get out of it. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Buenos dias, or buenas noches, or buenas, what is morning? Buenos morning. That was the voice of Mr. Jack W. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And this is episode number 204. Four, 204. Can you believe it? That's dos zero cuatro or dos centieros cuatro or something like that. Nonetheless, we are glad you are here and you will be hearing so much more from Mr. Jack W. in just a moment. But first things first. This here episode is brought to you by Stephen and Randy and Misha and Bill and Laura and Jamie and Tanya and Marco. So you ask yourself, or you ask me, well, John M., what exactly did Stephen and Randy and Misha and Bill and Laura and Jamie and Tanya and Marcos do to get this recognition on the front part of this episode number 204, well, they went to our little website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a, a contribution. So thank you so much, Stephen and Randy and Misha and Bill and Laura and Jamie and Tanya and Marcos for helping us keep the virtual lights on. This episode is coming right out to Ewans. And those of you who are new listeners hear me say Ewans every once in a while. Uh, I haven't talked about it in a bit. And that is kind of a an homage, if you will, a, a, uh, a tip of the hat to my father who lives in Tennessee and uh, has one of those. He is a self-proclaimed hillbilly. And they use words just like that all the time, Ewans. They say, how are Ewans doing? And so that is what I am referencing when you hear me say that word. I, John M., just another bozo on the bus, like all of us, will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. And I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get started. Remember now, no matter who you are or what your past looks like, you are welcome here. It is an open table and we are glad that you have found us. So, um, so you say to yourself, John M., are you on any new social media lately? Well, let me fill you in. We are on Pinterest. It's at Soberspeak, all one word. And uh, the lovely Miss Cassandra, who does 
all of our Instagram posts and helps out so much with the Facebook group and everything else. She actually got me set up on there and I am most grateful that she has done such. So you, if you're into the Pinterest thing, uh, and you want to follow us over there on Pinterest. Once again, it's at SoberSpeak, all one word. We're just kind of now getting cranked up with a few posts, but we would love to have you follow us. That'd be absolutely fantastic. So I was doing a little a morning meditation earlier this week, and uh, one of the emails that I get on a consistent basis, uh, one of the meditation emails, is from Transitions Daily, which my friend Buddy C runs over there. And uh, for whatever reason, this particular quote from the big book caught my eye while reading through it. And I just wanted to share this with you all. Somebody else out there may need to hear it as well, like I did the other morning. This is a quote from page 89 of the book. The big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, the fourth edition, and the chapter Working with Others. It says, Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. This has come true in my life. Let me go ahead and read that again. Life will take on a new meaning. To watch people recover. To see them help others. To watch loneliness vanish. To see a fellowship grow up about you. To have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. Once again, that's from page 89 of the big book. And uh, it struck me, and hopefully that can help somebody else out there as well today. Maybe it was just what you need to hear, as it was for me the other morning. Now, on to Mr. Jack W. from Carbondale, California. Jack got sober for 13 years the first time. He went back out for 10 years, and now he has been sober for seven years. Needless to say, it has been quite a journey for Jack from Carbondale. We address many things. This is just the tip of the iceberg, but we address freedom. When he referred, what he, uh, and his kind of definition of it and some conversation around that. We talk about family life in AA, including his 40 years of marriage. Jack's amends to his parents. Uh, Jack compares alcoholism to something like carbon monoxide poisoning, and he will explain that. And we also discuss Abigail's favorite color. And what, John M., you say, does that have to do with recovery and alcoholism? Well, you will just have to listen on in and find out. All right, everybody. Enjoy this one, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of Jack W.'s episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Mr. Jack W. And Jack W., well, I'm just going to go ahead and ask you to introduce yourself. Give your sobriety date if you wish, sir, and tell people where you live in this great country of ours. Hi, everybody. I'm Jack W. I am in Carbondale, Colorado. I have been sober since January 1st, 2004. By the grace of God and the 36 spiritual principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I am very grateful for that. January 1st. So that is, you, you're you a New Year's baby, huh? I am. Everybody seems to think that it was a great party, but I was in detox on the 31st. <laughs> you didn't go out with a bang or anything, huh? No, it was just in flames. <laughs> and so you said you lived in, you live in Carbondale and where is Carbondale in Colorado? I, I asked you this before the, before we started, I just wanted to hear you say this again. 
Carbondale is about four and a half million dollars south of Aspen. It's where everybody that can't afford to live in Aspen lives. I grew up in Aspen, Colorado. <laughs> it's four and a half million dollars south of, Colo of Aspen. Yes. <laughs> That's hilarious. Are you a skier? I am. I, I skied most of my life. I haven't skied in the last few years because I'm getting old and my joints are, I'm having those issues. <laughs> I got you. All right. So Tim comes to us via Mr. Tim H., uh, who has been on. In fact, the title of Tim H.'s episode was, let me think about this. I think it was like, do the stitches and leave the pattern to God. You may have heard him say that before. Uh -huh. And I believe and I believe Tim is your grand sponsor. Is that yes. right? Tim's a great guy. Super. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's super. Uh, all right, so um, let's go ahead and get started with Mr. Jack W. here. So, uh, so Jack W., um, I know that you've been in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous a little bit. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Uh, I, I think you started young and kind of, kind of walk me through your background. So I was, I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous since January 1st, 2004. I've been around Alcoholics Anonymous most of my life. I was taken to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting by a really astute school counselor when I was 13 or 14 years old. Well, no, well, hold on. Let's stop there. So a student counselor actually took you to your first meeting. Is that so? Is this like in high school? Yeah, I started my freshman year in high school when I was 13. In the beginning of the year, I was as usual, in trouble with uh, in every area of my life, cops, school, parents, girls, friends, and they could see something I couldn't. They could see alcohol and Jack were the common denominator. And uh, she took me, she was very, really smart. She took me to an AA meeting in Aspen in the late seventies. And uh, it was quite an experience. Wow. So and now that must be so I, I'm just trying to think of how many people actually ended up in AA because their 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 counselor from public school or was it a yes. public school? Took them to an AA meeting when they were 13 years old. And I would imagine that the, the list is very short. Uh, that's really cool. Actually. I didn't end up in Alcoholics Anonymous at that point. All but but. What I saw, but they, but she took you to your first. Yeah, meeting, and what right? I saw, what I found out is there's a thing called Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, burning my life to the ground and ODing and all those things. By the time I was 18, at least I knew there was help, and I ended up back in Alcoholics Anonymous at that point. Have you talked to that lady since uh, you got sober by no, chance? No, and uh, I can't. I can't remember her name. Wow. Okay. So what do you remember about that meeting? Anything that in there was a, it was the late seventies in Aspen, which is a small town. It's 3,500 people when the lifts are closed. And I walked into the community center and there was a card table with six or eight people with gray hair, uh, like mine sitting around that table. And I saw all the differences as we do. Um, but I did understand why they were there and that there is a thing called alcoholism and a place called Alcoholics Anonymous, which became very important to me later in life. Wow. Okay. So you went to your first meeting and then what happened from there? Uh, I saw that counselor for uh, a while because we had made a deal that I could drink beer only on the weekends if I'd stopped drinking the Jack Daniels and I saw her for a lengthy period of time after that, about two weeks. And on the second week, they ran out of beer and there was still Jack Daniels. I drank the Jack Daniels and I was too embarrassed to go back and see her. <laughs> so she made a deal with a 13-year-old. By the way, you could tell these are different yes, times, they are. right? She made a deal with a... <laughs> 
13-year-old that you could drink beer on the weekends, just stay away from the hard yep. stuff. And obviously that didn't play out very well, but hey, I guess you take what you can get with a 13-year-old, right? right? <laughs> All right, so take me from there. What happened? Uh, by the time I was 15 or 16, I was in trouble with, I knew every cop in Aspen by name. Uh, and I was in trouble in every area of my life and I could not, not drink. And, uh, I ended up, I used to say that my parents kicked me out of the house, but that's not the truth through the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. I have a different perception of that. And what they did was they said I could live there as long as I followed some simple rules. And those rules were impossible for a guy rolling with spiritual malady like I was. They, they expected me to tell him where I was going to be, do what I said I was going to do, and contribute around the house. And I couldn't get those things done. So I left. And uh, as we all do, I moved in with my drug dealer and couldn't pay rent, moved out. And I ended up homeless in Aspen when I was 18 and living in a park at a jungle gym. Did people know you in that part? I mean, did they recognize who you were? Uh, it's a small town, and my I come from a good family, and my my both my parents were respected community members and business people, and there were trucks all around town with my dad's business name on it, and it's the same name I have. Uh, so yeah, people knew me, and uh, I bet it broke their heart. Huh? It is a heartbreaking uh, illness. Mm-hmm. Do you have brothers have four and sisters? sisters? Wow. Were any of them, I, you know, were were you the black sheep or did they have other uh, uh, challenges? I was definitely the black sheep at the time. Uh, some of my sisters went through their own struggles afterwards, but at that point in time, it was, uh, as it becomes, all about me and trying to keep me on the straight and narrow and all of those things that go along with alcoholism. Uh, when I called my mother, when I, after I had OD at 18, I called my mother and as all tough guys do. And I asked her if she would meet with me because I thought I had a problem. And we met at my place and we sat on the park bench and uh, I'm enclosed three, si- three sizes too small that, I, that weren't mine coming off a three-week bender and uh, I told her I I think I'm an alcoholic and I need to get help and she said no you can't be and that's because there's a stigma with this thing that it's about being good and bad and I'm here to tell you it's not it's about being sick and well and well is available but we don't know that when we're walking in the door we think it's a a moral issue a, a good and bad issue and it's not it's an illness and there's help available So you told her you thought you needed some help. Does that when AA came into the yeah, picture some again? Condensing, she uh, made it possible for me to go to get some help. And I was checked into a facility and spent 28 days there and came out. And uh, I don't know if I did anything right in that facility, except for I had heard somebody say that if you go to an AA meeting, the day you get out, your chances of staying sober get uh, skyrocket. And there weren't meetings every day, morning, noon, and night then like there is now. And uh, I happened to, at a coincidence, uh, show up and ask me there was a meeting the night I got back. And I went to that meeting and uh, started my journey in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I wish I could tell you. Go ahead. So was the so was this second meeting uh, a little bit more, were you open a little bit more? I don't know if I was open, but that I was way. vocal. And uh, I walked in and there was a bunch of gray hairs still at the table. I'm 18 years old in Aspen and they read from a, the big book and it went around the room. And there was probably 20 people in the meeting at this point. Went around, everybody shared something out of the big book and it got to me and I started sharing about cocaine and quaaludes and everything to uh, separate myself from them. And uh, the magic is, is that what they said to me was to keep coming back as we do. And uh, I did that. But I was 18 years old, sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, still trying to be the center of attention. 
You know, uh, I hadn't thought about <laughs> quaaludes in quite a while, but <laughs> if I ever went back out and they, they started making those things again, <laughs> I would be happy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. So, but I digress. Um, all right. So you're sitting there with the old folks. You're trying to separate yourself best you can. Was there anything that cracked the code for you? Was there something that kind of, was there a day or time where you had a turning point? How long did you stay sober? There was an old timer in that group and he came up to me at that first meeting and said to me, Hey Jack, we're going to the prison on Friday night to take a meeting. And do you want to come? I said, no, Bruce, I'm really busy on Friday night because I, if you, if you're rolling around spirituality, like I was, and you're sitting at home with no solution, it's an activity not to drink. And that's what I was doing on Friday nights. And he did this for six weeks. You'll find in Alcoholics Anonymous that the old timers can't hear because he would come in week after week and say, hey, Jack, we're going to the prison on Friday night to take a meeting. Do you want to come? And finally, I said yes, just to shut him up. And uh, and I, I loaded up in that car and we went over to that prison on, on Friday night. And there was a minivan full of AA members smiling and laughing. And I was terrified. And we got to the prison and we went through the gate and past the guard towers and we're walking down by the cell block. And from the third floor of the cell block comes some, somebody yells, hey, Wheeler. And uh, I almost fainted. And uh, the old time Bruce, who was with me, who invited me, uh, turns around, looks at me and says, you're in the right place. And that's been my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. If I'm available and I say yes mm-hmm. to things, I end up in places I never wanted to go and are exactly where I need to be. And he was the one that uh, got me through mm-hmm. the steps. And uh, and it, it was a wonderful experience. Yeah. That's Bruce who got you through the steps, right? Talk about going through that steps the first through the steps. Going the through the time. steps the first time I did exactly what he said because I didn't want to drink again. And uh and I noticed that the people that were hanging around with him and he and he and his uh wife were seemed to be really uh free and happy and always being useful. And he took me through the steps and, and I don't know if it was year six, year seven, eight, whatever it was. I was sober and sponsoring guys and going to regular meetings regularly. Uh, and I was driving down the hill to go to my home group and, and there was a hatch coming off the river and I'm a, I'm a avid fly fisherman. And I decided that I was going to go fishing instead of going to my home group. And, uh, and you know, the story, you know, what happened when I went fishing instead of going to my home group, nothing, you know, I went fishing. And I don't know that I ever went back to my home group. And the following week or two weeks later, I was going to the Thursday night meeting mm-hmm. and I decided to go fishing again. And uh, you know what happened? I, the insidious nature of alcoholism is I can't see it on me. When the veil's dropping down around my eyes, I can't see it. And at 13 years, if you would have asked me the day before if I was ever going to drink again, uh from that year when I stopped going to meetings to 13 years, I unplugged from Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you would have asked me if I was ever going to drink again, I would have said no. And I would have passed a lie detector test. And the next day I was drunk. And I'd like to, I'd like to tell you that, that with all I knew of the big book steps and my experience in AA, that I shook it off and came running back, but I am powerless over this thing. And, uh, and I was out for 10 years. Um, and it was a it was a tough run. <clears throat> so I'm sure people have asked you many times, uh, and they probably asked you right when you're coming back. You know, can you put a finger on what it was that where you were kind of going along doing okay, and then you went back out? Any uh, any sure. thoughts on that? I'd say it's twenty twenty. Um, I, I, I became self-reliant. I became self-directed. I became uh, self-guided and I thought I could keep myself sober. And if you're running around with spiritual malady like me, you cannot. And uh, I get along with myself and eventually I'm going to drink again, no matter how much I know or understand technically about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You can't feed it to yourself. And uh, that's why we go to regular meetings regularly. 
And when you say, and I'm trying to um, uh, put some meat on the bone here, when you say you became self-reliant and self-centered during that time, right before you went back out, are you able to describe a little bit about what that looked like in your life, how it manifested itself? You know, I, I, I stopped going to meetings. I st- eventually, within six months, I wasn't talking to my sponsor. I wasn't answering the phone for the guys I sponsored. Uh, the things, the things, the external stuff in my life became more important. Um, and this is an internal condition, and we can't treat it with external stuff, even though we try and try and try. And uh, I think the delusion that uh, I don't. Uh, the, the 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 reality of delusion, as it talks about in our text, is it's a lie that I tell myself that I believe. That's the insanity that it talks about in step two. And I can't fix that. That requires a power greater than myself. And uh, the lie just that delusion gets thicker and thicker until we think one more time that uh, that great obsession that that I can drink like a normal person comes back and I don't even see it come back. So I was going to ask you about that. Did you see it coming back? Was it just all of the sudden like, and and I, I'm real interested in this for a couple of reasons. Number one, because I I have long-term sobriety myself, right? And, and I know that there are a lot of people listening who kind of play around with the program, so to speak, right? They, they, they're, they're on the edges. They're not fully in, so to speak. And I'm curious as if, did you see, did you know during that time leading up to going back out that were you having ideations, if you will, of drinking or did it just kind of slip up on you like the whiskey and the milk? So looking back, I can see, but in walking through it, I couldn't see. Uh, the The reality is, is that what I know today is that 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 spiritual malady, that restlessness, irritable irritability, and discontentedness that comes before we take that drink, that that happens stone cold sober. And when that happens stone cold sober, without uh, connection to a power greater than myself, without the God reliance that comes from working the steps, I don't see it. I'm, I'm just trying to fix it with the external stuff. I, I'm self-directed and, and, you know, my ideas are the only arsenal I have to combat something that, that it won't work on. It's, it's, you know, my sponsor says all the time, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. You know, it's, it's not going to go well for me, but I can't see that. And, uh, you know, and I think that's the powerful nature of the spiritual malady is that it, it, it gets me stone cold sober. You know, the phenomenon of craving only kicks in when I put alcohol in my body. That mental insanity, that obsession that gets on my eyeball, like pasting on my eyeball that I can't get around, that happens when I'm stone cold sober. And uh, the cool thing about Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps is they treat the sober condition with a spiritual solution. And it's not I can't I can't operate today and yesterday's spiritual awakening. Just like I couldn't operate when I was out there on yesterday's Crown Royal. I need the good stuff every day. <laughs> I've never heard of it that way. <laughs> so, all right. So you are sober for an extended period of time and then you go back out and you're out there for what, 10 years yep. is that what you said after that? So, I, you know, Give me, give me a thumbnail sketch of that 10 years, whatever so you want first, to say about that period. The first time I hit a bottom, I was homeless in Aspen, uh, OD'd in the park, totally out of control, destitute in despair. Second time, if you would have seen my life, my problems, you would have wanted them. I was flying around on private planes. I had businesses in Aspen, Jackson Hole, and Kona, and I couldn't outspend my income. And uh, and I think that was the method I used to try and soothe the internal condition was just to pack the external stuff on it. And, uh, you know, but I know that the, the spiritual malady doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter who you are, or where you are. If you've got it, you've got it. And the consequences are the same. The, the despair and the terminal turmoil are the same. And uh, 
the, 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 on the guy flying around on private planes, puking in the puke bag when I was sober enough to get the puke bag out. And, uh, and it was, it was an, a miserable existence. And, you know, I, I, I had all the information on the guy sitting in the bar at, at a five star resort in Kona beating on the bar for a crown Royal. And, uh, I could recite the big book to you. I could tell you exactly what it says about step one. I could tell you exactly what it says about how to write a four step. I could sit at the bar drunk and tell you exactly technically how to do it. And this is not a technical solution. It is a spiritual solution and we can't feed it to ourselves. I need, I need members of Alcoholics Anonymous in my life. I need my sponsor in my life. I need those road dogs that I roll with all the time in my life regularly. And, uh, because I'll starve to death. Let me do a little break here and we'll get back to you. We'll be, we will be continuing our conversation with Jack W. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website. You can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own content. Contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right. Now back to Mr. Jack W.I. So you are in this time to where you could be sitting at bars and you are able to recite the book. During this time, were you... Um, were you still in any communication with the folks in Alcoholics Anonymous? They were they reaching out to you? Were you reaching out to them? Uh, did you see people when you were in these bars? Talk to me about so that. So I'd see people from AA because it's a small town. And they'd, we'd run into each other and they'd ask me how I'm doing. And I'd say, fine, I'm good. You know, the, the reality is, is I was not. Um but I didn't, I didn't stay in contact with anybody. I wasn't calling people. I wasn't trying to get back. I was trying to do it myself, self-directed and, uh, embarrassed, humiliated, in despair. My life's coming apart at the seams. Looks good on the outside, but I'm dying on the inside. And, uh, we're, we're not, we're not the ones that reach out. We're just trying to fix it. That's a story coming into Alcoholics Anonymous is we try everything we can to fix it. And the, and the great thing is, is if you come in and just, just the right moment, you, you understand that you can't fix it. That's the entry point to Alcoholics Anonymous. I can't fix it. And, and in fixing it just beats me down. Mm. Trying to fix it just beats me down further and further. So at some point, this 10 year run kind of comes to a, a head it looks like talk to me starting about starting point of the end uh it's like in bill's story he tells you how many times he's done and then he drinks for six more years or five more years or whatever uh the starting point of the end for me was my i got a phone call from my mother and she said hey jack your dad's dying of kidney failure and needs a new kidney can you go get tested and my parents didn't know I was drinking. They still thought I was sober. I hit it. That's why I had businesses all over the world is so I could leave town. Uh, and, uh, and I said, yes. So you hit it for 10 years? Yes. I'd, I'd fly out of town. Wow. I'd be gone for two weeks. I'd drink for two weeks and I'd eat Percocet at home to get through to the next drink because my wife couldn't smell it on my breath. And my mom called me and she said, your dad's dying. Can you get tested to see if you're matched? Donate a kidney to him. And uh, my my parents were my neighbors. I lived on a family ranch and raised my kids there and spent 30 years uh, living there. But anyway, my, my mom called me and said, he's dying. Can you get tested? I said, yes, I'll get tested. And uh, and the reality is, is that uh, I thought that would involve a blood test which is evidence if you're a guy like me. And so I came up with a story that I had to be sober for seven days to go get tested. And uh, I can tell you that I would wake up in the morning and say, this is the start of the seven days. My dad's dying. I need to do this. And I would go uh, maybe four hours and change my mind, end up drunk 
And I, to this day, I've never made it to seven days and I've never been tested. My dad's rolling around my brother-in-law's kidney. Uh, and I hear people say in the rooms all the time that they're, they're going to stay sober. They're married now. They're having a kid now. They're doing this. They're doing that. And that's enough reason to stay sober. It is, but it won't work. Uh, the only thing that I've ever seen that works for a guy like me is the spiritual awakening that happens in Alcoholics Anonymous and going out and carrying this mess- message to others. And uh, I've never been tested and had to make amends to my parents for that. Uh, and yeah, I'd like to tell you I'm a quick yeah. study and it was the first time I went through the steps when I came back in, but that's not the case. I uh, had gone through the steps and number of times and I was sitting in my home group and the the conversation in the home group, the topic was the eighth step. And it was the first time I'd ever heard that we made, we became willing, we made a list of all the per, pe, pe, persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. And I realized I had harmed my parents and I started crying in my home group when I realized that. And I'm, I'm connected and, and aware and, and, active member of Alcoholics Anonymous at the time. And the next day I got in my truck and I drove up to the ranch knowing that I owed my parents an amends and there was some unfinished spiritual business. And I drove up and I get out of my truck and my dad's cowboy contractor, tough guy. And, uh, and I get out of the truck and I'm crying and uh, he's, and, and I walk up to him and he says, what's wrong? And I said to him, I said, I have an amends I need to make. And he said, Oh no, you don't have to do that. And I said, no, I need to. It's, I did this and I said, I, when you were dying, I, I needed to get tested and I never did. And I don't know how to make that right, but I will. And my dad said to me, he said, he said, I said to him, you tell me whatever I need to do. He said, well, you need to keep doing what you're doing because I may need another one. And, uh, and I went to my, I went to my mother and I said the same thing. I said, <laughs> you know, I don't know how to make it right to you. My mom's a lot smarter than my dad and I. And she said to me, she said, Jack, what I want you to do is keep helping the young men you're helping hard stop because she knows that's the magic of Alcoholics Anonymous is us carrying the message to someone else. And in that I am sustained. So your dad, you said just to kind of put a button on that story or button up that story. He, you said he got a, a a kidney from your brother-in-law and it sounds like he's still doing okay. Did it ever come around to where he needed that other kidney? No, he's actually sitting out in the office right here drawing. He's an artist. Really? So he, he's good. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> Are you guys? And he, and he and he loves Alcoholics Anonymous. I bet. Are you guys in business together? No, he's he's just we're just tight. He he lives in an apartment. I built an apartment on my house for him and my mom when we sold the ranch, and now they live there and travel and. So we're still tight. Very nice. Okay, so let's go into a little bit more of uh, uh, your journey in sobriety, if you will. Uh, talk to me about some, I guess, some highlights you've had in there. You want to talk about sponsorship, uh, uh, some uh, additional amends, what you've experienced in Alcoholics Anonymous? You, My you, experience. By the way, we talked a little bit before before we started and I know you mentioned the word freedom and I I don't know if there's anything around that particular subject you want to talk about with that. Do you want to talk about freedom? Yes. There's a line in the forward to the second edition that says, yet it is our great hope that all those who have yet found no answer may begin to find one in the pages of this book and will presently join us on a high road to a new freedom. And uh, what I know is that the first time I was around Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, I was good with relief. And relief is a bad deal for a guy as self-centered as I am. It's all about me and how I feel. And what Alcoholics Anonymous offers us, if we follow the directions in the text with another man that has followed the direction in the text, is freedom. I'd be absolutely free. And today I'm a free man in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I didn't know that was possible. I'm not interested in relief. You know, I'm interested in being free. And that is the promise of the 12 steps is we will be usefully whole and free 
says in a couple other spots in our text that uh, freedom is is what we're shooting for here. And it has been my experience that we, a guy like me that could not not drink, no matter how hard I tried, I'm absolutely free of that. It is, it has been a long time since I went to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous because I needed a meeting. I go today because it's my spiritual responsibility to carry this message. And I also love hanging out with us. The, uh, and you know, that, that, that's been my, my, my granddaughter is, uh, I think the third step is the is the entire solution to alcoholism, and uh, and the and the reality is is that uh, I can't affect that in my own life. And I do we do things like this, and we go to conferences, and we hang out together, and we get charged up, you know. But I go to a conference; it's Friday through Sunday, and I come out of there and I'm, I'm on fire with this thing. And by Wednesday, you know, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to get more money. And uh, <laughs> my, my my granddaughter said to me, I said to her one day, I said, what's your favorite color, Abigail? And she said, Grandpa, my favorite color is orange. And uh, and and I said, OK, what's your second favorite color, Abigail? She said, Grandpa, my second favorite color is orange. And, and it's like, why would you have a second favorite color if orange is available? <laughs> and, and that's what it's like here. Freedom is available. And the work we do with other people in the program and carrying this message keeps us on task with freedom. Orange is my favorite color. God is my favorite color. And I don't need a second favorite color. And and if I can come out with that clarity, it's it's unbelievable. And today, Abigail's seven. She'll be eight next week. And uh, and I asked her recently, I said, Abigail, what's your favorite color? She said, Grandpa, my favorite color is orange. So what's your second favorite color? She said, Grandpa, my second favorite color is chocolate. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's the world that clamors. Already getting in. And, 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 and what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous does is, is it, it, it keeps us on orange. It keeps us on freedom. It keeps us on God. It keeps us on service. And I need that in my life every day because I'm the guy that will go back to chocolate. You know, I like chocolate. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of that, you know, our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. And uh, does Abigail know that you use uh, her as a, uh, a a metaphor for Alcoholics Anonymous? I think she does. I know her parents do. My daughter does. And, and my daughter's a good member <laughs> of Al-Anon. And, uh, you know, they, we, we speak the same language, even even Abigail speaks the same language. She she understands my house is shot through with spiritual principles. And it's the greatest thing ever. So I've heard you talk about your your parents and then your daughter and your granddaughter. And I can see you have a wedding ring on. So it seems to me like a family has come up around you or been through you with a lot of these experiences. Talk to me about your family a little. So uh, I met my wife when she would, I was skiing with my sister up at Snowmass when I was, I don't know if I was 15 or 16. And this is how I roll. And there was a girl that skied under the lift. And I said to my sister, I'm going to marry her. And my sister said, who is she? So I'm not sure yet, but I've seen her around school. And, uh, <laughs> and and she thought I was crazy. And I can tell you one of my greatest character defects that's become one of my greatest assets in Alcoholics Anonymous is my stalking skills. I'm an excellent <laughs> stalker. I have the sponsor I have today because I saw him, wanted something, and started following him around. And uh, and <laughs> Steph and I have been together for 40 years. She's uh, We don't sponsor each other. She's got a program and a sponsor. I've got a program and a sponsor, and there's some real magic that meets in the middle in our house. We, have, we live in an AA and Al-Anon house, and it's wonderful. There's always something going on at our house. And when you walk in, you know that God is is there. And uh, that's in spite of us, not because of us. It's because of AA and Al-Anon. And, uh, and my, my daughter's been in Al-Anon for a very long time. My son seems to be normal, but he grew up going to meetings with me. And those, uh, if you, I asked him one time, we were heading down from an archery shoot to go to a, a buddy of mine's 
uh, funeral. He died sober, 25 years sober with uh, of liver failure, finally caught up with him. And uh, we're rolling down the hill, and I said to Jack, I said, so you, do you believe in God? He said, he said, yeah, Dad, I do. He said, I have no idea what it is, but from going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings with you, I know I don't have to know. And uh, so I gave my son a God. And uh, I try, I, I would have loved to have said that that's because of me, but it's not. It's because of AA. The collective conscious of AA, of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon permeate our lives in spite of us. I, you know, I'm, I'm going back to your wife there and I'm thinking about these 40 years and about you going in and out. And I know you're not here to tell her story, uh, but that must have been quite a ride with you, Mr. Jack W., is what I'm assuming. She deserves a medal. Um, I feel grace <laughs> in all of it. So does she. But she, when she talks from the podium, she'll tell you that uh, alcoholism is like CO poisoning, carbon monoxide poisoning. It comes in through the doors. It comes in through the cracks in the windows. It comes in under the furniture and you can't smell it. You can't see it, but everybody in the house gets sick and it becomes everybody's normal. It's the only life we've ever known. And we settle into the delusion that sucks us in. And it is only by grace and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous that we get out of it. And our family has uh, been experienced that grace. And we spent our life, the primary purpose in our lives is to carry that message to others who are in the middle of it and have no idea why they're dying. That's well put. Um, In fact, I think that's a good place to start to wrap it up. Is there anything that you want to say to the folks who are listening out there, sharing your experience, strength, and hope that you hadn't gotten off your chest thus far, Jack? I want to say that the, that don't settle for relief. It's demand freedom. Do the work here and uh, with a man that's done the work or a woman that's done the work. And this is what it'll look like in your life. I would, My wife and I had a houseboat on Lake Powell for a number of years, and we do a sober trip down there every year with our sponsor and their wives or husbands and and all the road dogs and and friends and their kids. And we'd spend four or five days on the houseboat at Lake Powell. And, uh, and we'd get up in the morning and we'd do morning meditation together and we'd do meetings during the day. And then we'd end every night with a bonfire and gratitude meeting. And about day four, I'm walking around the houseboat and I'm cleaning up to getting ready to pull off and go back. And, and, uh, and I hear the kids up on the roof of the houseboat and the kids, they're, they're, young, you know, a variety of ages from, from six to 10 years old, probably. And, uh, they're up on the house and top roof of the houseboat and I'm sliding down the side and I hear them up there and this is what they're saying. They're, they're going, okay, you're the sponsor. You're the new guy. You're the chairperson. <laughs> you're the Al-Anon. I'm the AA. And they're up, uh, the kids are up on the roof of the houseboat playing Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> and I think if we're doing this thing right and the kids are playing it, we're right where we're supposed to be. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> All right. I'm going to, I'm going to read from page 164 of the big book to close this out here. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us like me and Jack W., As you trudge the road of happy destiny, may God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Jack, thank you so much for joining me today. I sure do appreciate it. Thank you, John. It was fun. Once again, Mr. Jack W., thank you so much for spending time with me. I sure do appreciate you, and I know the listeners will as well. If you have any comments about Jack or any of the other speakers, or you just want to reach out and say hi to me, I'm at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. Feel more than free to reach out, and I can pass those messages along to the appropriate parties. In other words, the guests that appear on this uh, podcast, if you want to get something to them. And um, what else do I have here? I think that's about it. Let's get on to a little bit. Oh, I did want to tell you, I didn't mention this on the front end, but if you are not part of the Super Secret Facebook group, go to your uh, Facebook application 
type in the search bar sober well i think it's secret well gosh what do you type in secret sober speak secret group i believe is what it is because there's both a public page and then a secret page it's a long story but if you want to be invited to the secret facebook group just go ahead and click in fill in the information and we will let you into the group we would absolutely love to have you in there i'd say there's I don't know, 16, 1700 other people of just like-minded folks, just like you. And, uh, there's all kinds of information in there that, uh, uh, people are sharing all day long. They ask questions. How do I find a sponsor? How do I do this? How do I do that? They just share their experience, strength, and hope. They celebrate birthdays. They celebrate anniversaries. Is it all celebrate all kinds of things? And we would love to have you along for the ride as well. Now onto that listener feedback. Dave, right? Oh, in fact, at the beginning of this episode, I said that we would have plenty of listener feedback at the end of Jack's episode. And it is much more apropos in this case because Dave writes in and he says, Sober greetings from Dublin. And that little uh, uh, plenty O. Uh, listener feedback on the beginning of these episodes and what I do is kind of a shout out to our Irish, I, oh, bad, very bad, our Irish friends, our Irish friends. That was a little tough for me for whatever reason. In fact, Dave, let me say a top of the morning to you. <laughs> Or, or what's what's the other one I hear them say sometimes? Uh, may may the rose may the road rise up to meet you? Is, is that what they say? I think so, Dave. I could be wrong on that. Now I would have now top of the morning to you. I can kind of figure out what that means. But may the road rise up to meet you sounds cool. I have absolutely no idea what that means. Why would somebody want the road rise up to meet them? But I'm sure. There is history behind that. And if I just looked it up, I could probably figure it out. But anyway, Dave says, Hi, John, I love your show and your sense of humor <laughs> really gets me laughing in my truck. Well, he, he may think now that he should not have said that, but <laughs> thank you. Um, that, that's so good to hear. Oh, and it's kind of cool to know they have trucks in uh, Dublin, in Ireland. Uh, I guess they have trucks everywhere, but I kind of think of it more of as a United States thing, especially Texas. Down here, it's like every other car is a truck or truck, or every other automobile or every other vehicle, I guess I should say, is a truck. But you get what he says. I'm saying. Anyway, Dave says, I'm a recovering Al-Anon alcoholic and sexaholic in Ireland. And I look forward to your podcast every Friday afternoon. Well, you'll be listening to me talking about you this time, Dave. He says, I spend my day listening to speaker tapes. And thanks to one of Bob D's tapes I came across, I found out what was happening with me and that I needed to get better. The 12 steps. My journey started in Al-Anon after growing up with two alcoholic parents. Neither found recovery, one unfortunately being bedridden for 21 years with wet brain and finally passing. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm sorry to hear that, Dave. That is sad. Uh, finally passing in June of 2020. Also, I had a string of abusive relationships, which led me to a mental breakdown. I have worked a solid program, and you can always tell when somebody's uh, from uh, overseas or Canada because they put an E on the end of program, for what it's worth. Anyway, in Al-Anon, going through the steps with BBA twice. Oh, BBA, that is, uh, uh, let me think about it here. Oh, Big Book. Awakening. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with that program, you could probably just look it up. Uh, I think it's a. I think the group is out of uh, San Diego, and they have a great way of going through the Big Book. It's called BBA uh, Big Book Awakening. Anyway, he says I went through that twice, and I was the very definition of a drowning man that had reached the turning point of either suicide or recovery. I had lost everything: money, 
family, wife, my daughter. My life had gone insane and I became a mere onlooker. I couldn't stop the chaos. The hardest turning point in recovery was to realize I myself was an addict. The victim became the perpetrator. Denial is so powerful three exclamation points so i like how you put that the victim became the perpetrator denial is so powerful i have committed to aa since january this year and today i can say i'm a grateful alcoholic words that made no sense to me in the past i get that dave my life is balancing out i can do the mundane boring tasks that normies do although the disconnect is still there i have changed people places and things i meet my sponsor in his kitchen every thursday night and i'm so blessed to be able to get a second chance at life. <clears throat> I'm learning how to live sponsor. Oh, I'm learning how to live sober. As, as since the age of 12, I needed, I needed alcohol to function with people as I was so introverted and full of shame. AA, sponsorship, and the 12 steps are now doing for me what alcohol did. Slowly, I will admit. My essay program has not been solid, but will come with but will come with time. Easy does it. Importantly, today I'm sober as the alcoholic obsession began to grab a grip and I wasn't able to stay sober without a program. Anyway, John, I love what you do and how you do it. You make me laugh out loud in my truck or walking my dog and help keep me sober one day at a time. God bless from Dublin and blessings to anyone listening to your podcast who is in pain. It does get better love dave love back at you dave and and thanks for the word of encouragement for those who are listening in brad writes in and the subject line was brad r makes 180 dash 180 days that is (laughs) and then he starts it off brother John, B-R-U-T-H-A, John. (laughs) Well, hello, brother Brad. The hard work is paying off, John. My life is good and my relationship with God is amazing in all big capital letters. I told you a while back and said I'd check in at the 180-day mark. Well, here I am checking in. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to be in AA, work the steps, clear my side of the street, be of service, and work with my sponsor. I'm grateful for your podcast, and thanks for the many wonderful people of AA and my sponsor, and I am living but one day at a time. I listen to a podcast every day during my workouts. My all-time favorites include Reno John, Jimmy D, Clay D, and Jerry Jones, to name a few. Well, those are some good ones there, Mr. Brad. I get it. Uh, in fact, I, <laughs> I sent... Uh, I sent uh, 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 the the text that you had written in uh, to my friend uh, Clay D because you had included his name and he said if he likes me he must be a sicko. <laughs> but anyway, Brad continues as I write this email, I catch myself smiling, saying, "Wow, what a difference one eighty makes." I've always been an all or nothing kind of guy. I now get it. Uh, I uh, I can be sober. Uh, if I, uh, I can't be sober, I can be all, oh, I'm sorry. I can be all sober. Uh, if I drink, I can only be drunk. Thank you, brother. Brad R. in South Mississippi. Oh, I have to do it. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. I think I got it. Uh, one of the one of the few things I remember from my from my uh, work in uh, elementary school. <laughs> I guess they taught me how to read and write because I'm doing this. But nonetheless, Brad R. Congratulations one more time on the 180, and thanks for keeping me posted. I sure do appreciate ya. Marilyn writes in. She says, "Hi, John. I live in Grapevine, Texas, and I've been sober since." 
November 10th of 1990, I picked up a card with the podcast information on it at the state convention in Fort Worth and have been listening ever since. You know what, Marilyn? I am actually the one who laid down those business cards. <laughs> They're like a business card with silver speak on it. And that's how I said it. And I am, I'm like thinking no one's ever going to pick this up, but I laid down a few and apparently it works. Thank you so much, Marilyn. I appreciate it. So <laughs> I appreciate you writing in and tell me about it. She says, I love your speakers and I have a 45 commute, 45 minute commute into downtown Dallas. So I really enjoyed having a meeting between meetings. Thanks for all you do and share the message, Marilyn. We'll write back at you. Thanks for all you do, Marilyn. And thanks for listening. Liz writes in and Liz says, hi, John. I listen to Sober Speak constantly when I get ready in the morning, when I'm walking the dog or when I'm on car rides. Man, you're listening to it all the time. I love it, Liz. She says, this podcast has been enormously instrumental in my continued recovery, peace and serenity in my life and ability to pay it forward. Oh, very cool, Liz. What you do makes a difference in big capital letters, peace, and then a little peace sign hand things. And she says, and she signs it Liz, uh, 898 days sober. Thanks to Alcoholics Anonymous and the grace of God. Well, congratulations on the 898 days, Liz. There's probably a few more by the time you're listening to this, but thank you so much. And thank you for your very kind words. Heather writes in and Heather says, my name is Heather and I'm 48 years old. I've been married for 22 years and I have four daughters ages 22, 20 and twins that are 12. I'm basically a binge drinker and not an everyday drinker and I should have quit should have quit 20 years ago. I guess I'm what you call a functioning alcoholic. I'm a salaried manager and I do well at my job and I never miss work. I just know it's time to stop drinking completely. I keep telling myself I will learn to have just a few beers, but of course, each time I drink, I drink all the beers. At this point, it's not even enjoyable anymore. I found your podcast looking for a motivational podcast and have been pleasantly surprised. I just listened to Jennifer HK episode two when she said, the more I drink, the thirstier I get. It really nailed it for me. Also, talking about people who can leave a bar after only two drinks, in parentheses, who does that? Question mark, question mark. I laugh out loud. She says, anyway, your podcast is very helpful for me, and I know this is really it. It's time to quit drinking for good. Thank you for all you do. You're helping a lot of people. Thank you again. Have a great day, Heather. Gosh, I, you know, the listeners for this particular podcast are just absolutely fantastic. You guys are incredible. I am uh, uh, humbled to say the least. And anyway, thank you for writing in. And I thank you for all the people that are involved with this. My wife, Cassandra. Uh, we have Bridget, another Bridget, who, who writes all the various uh, uh, synopsis that you see in the show notes. And uh, um, I, I'm just, uh, it, it is just absolutely fantastic. Anyway. One more here. Paul writes in and he says, Hey, John M., I just listened to podcast 201 with Father Bill W. I really enjoyed the podcast with Father Bill W. I was surprised at the end to uh, hear my email being read. Oh, I remember that. I still, I, I owe you a small amends. So I, I remember uh, Paul had written in, and basically, it is said that he had not had the best experience with uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, and I just I, I emailed him back, and it was kind of a brief. I'm not real great with text and emails and all that kind of stuff. I'm more of a talker, as you can see, right? And uh, basically, all I said was, "Yeah, hey, I understand that's not my has not been my experience, but you know, I, I wish you luck or whatever." You know, I don't I have no judgment on people having a bad experience with AA. I mean, there are people out there that do. 
and I get that. But anyway, so he goes on to say, when I got your response initially, it felt cold, like many experiences I had had with AA in the past. I thought I had gotten blown off again. Then I listened to your podcast and you talked about my email. I felt better and it restored my faith in AA. I will look for, I will look for other meetings and keep you posted. I really enjoy your podcast. Thanks for the encouragement. Paul, well, you're quite welcome, Paul. I, I get it. Uh, and so, and, and thanks for writing back in. Uh, and that is, uh, that uh, takes a lot of uh, courage, I guess is what you would call it. So anyway, good luck to you in your journey and do keep me posted. All right, everybody, that's it. One more week down the hatch. Maybe not the best, uh, maybe not the best analogy for a uh, podcast about alcoholism. <laughs> anyway, y'all, y'all be good out there. Uh, I take this one week at a time. God bless you. Uh, keep coming back. It works if you work it. By the way, you know, I, a lot of times I say that to to people when I'm uh, uh, when they uh, write me an email, and I'll just say keep coming back. And I'm always thinking, are they thinking I'm if they don't know AA very well, they probably think I'm saying keep coming back to you know listen to my podcast. And I don't mind you doing that, but just so everybody knows, I'm saying keep coming back to Alcoholics Anonymous uh, or Al-Anon or whatever twelve step group that you happen to be in. It's kind of a a little uh, saying uh, that uh, we use in uh, these 12-step programs, just in case you don't know that. Anyway, that's enough nonsense out of me. God bless you. Um, Hopefully, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye now.